0: podcast about teaching and learning and sustaining community for everyone at Thompson Rivers University. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within Open Learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tukum Te Shwetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And today, I'm thinking about grading and grades and how sometimes they seem to really get in the way of learning. Let's get into it. So I have to admit that one of the great joys of the job I have now is that I don't have to grade anything. <laughs> I love working with students in particular, whether it's on a website or a podcast project or just consulting with them about something they're trying to accomplish. That's really rewarding work, and I get to see their learning in real time, but I don't have to mark it, And it really does change my relationship with disseminating content, I guess. I can be slow and leisurely. I don't need to worry about, you know, the sort of finite constraints of the term. And I can give feedback without it being attached to a number. There's really interesting research, right, that shows that written feedback when delivered with a numerical score, the written feedback rarely gets read or processed. The focus becomes on the numerical score. And yet, our whole institution is designed around that numerical score. And I don't just mean our institution, obviously. I mean the institution in the broader aspect. I guess the reason I'm thinking about this so much is because I am actually marking, grading things right now. Jamie and I, as we talked about the other week, were co facilitating the PIDP uh, course in learning technology this semester. And To a large extent, we've been able to ungrade it. So for the most part, participants are either working on competency-based portfolios where they just have to complete a number of tasks to a set point value, and they're in charge of deciding how those points are mapped, or they're self-evaluating. They have one assignment that we are evaluating, and I'm working on that right now. And it's really interesting to look at the difference in how I feel about the feedback I'm giving, to a certain extent, the feedback becomes less about feedback and more about justifying the score on the page. And I guess because I've been away from evaluating for so long, I haven't really had to think about that. I haven't really had to process what that difference does to how I communicate with a participant or a student. Of course, ungrading is all the rage right now. There's lots of resources and I'll link you to a few in the show notes for today. Not everyone is in a position to be able to fully strip grades away from our classes. And maybe you're listening to me and you're like, that is not my experience of grades, Brenna, and I don't want to do it. And that's fine. I think we all have different relationships to the evaluative structure. But I do think thinking about how things like competency-based grading or self-evaluation and reflection, thinking about those as opportunities to change your relationship to evaluation can be really powerful. tell you from looking at our participant self-evaluations, like people are rough on themselves and they're honest. And in fairness, that's not just because it's a professional development activity. I've seen that too in classes when I've used self-evaluation. I'll link in the show notes to some research about how self-evaluations do typically tend to line up with instructors' perspectives or perceptions. All this to say, if grading is working for you, fab. If it's not, There are other choices out there that might change your affective relationship to evaluating your course content. And, you know, it's November. This is a time of year when everybody's thinking about grades because they're overtaking our lives. And so thinking about how taking some of that pressure off yourself by contemplating a different kind of structure might be particularly valuable. Okay, I have the pleasure of a conversation with Cheryl Gladue today, the researcher in residence here at TRU, and talk about someone who can infuse hope back into my perspective on how we do things around here. It was a real joy, and I think you're going to enjoy it too. So I'm here on the show today with Cheryl Gladue. Cheryl, could you introduce yourself to the audience? Maybe let them know where you can be found around TRU? Okay, yeah. My um, official title—I'm a postdoctoral fellow,
1: and um, the project is called a researcher in residence. So I'm a researcher in residence, and I'm not really on campus. I'm um, half the week I'm found at City Hall, and then the other half of the week I'm found at the Exchange Lab in um, Entranquille. So I'm embedded in the community, and I come on campus when there's a requirement for like a live meeting or something like that, which is rare these days. But um, Mm. yeah, I don't actually have an office on campus currently.
0: So this is a pilot program, right? You're the first researcher in residence at TRU? That's right.
1: Yeah. At the city of Kamloops. Yeah.
0: So this – okay. So it's a position between – my understanding is like the city of Kamloops and it's housed at TRU, but you're, as you said, embedded in the community. Can you tell us a little bit about like – a day in the life for researcher and residents. Like, what kind of stuff do you get up to as you move between these spaces?
1: Yeah, mainly a lot of phone calls right now. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a postdoctoral fellow. So my primary objective is research. Um, it seems, but a lot of what I do is matchmaking between the city and faculty and students on campus. Mm. So the idea of the researcher and residence program is to form a permanent connection between the two institutions. And this way, bringing some of the resources found at the university into the city um, uh, by way of research projects and student projects and that sort of thing. And so I'm officially located in the um, Office of Research and Graduate Studies. And so that's my faculty, uh, if that makes any sense. And uh, I work through them to identify faculty to work on you know, projects that have been identified by city directors and managers and um, and try to make connections between faculty, students, and uh, city staff. Yeah, for the most part, I've been doing it in that direction. So I come to the meetings and I'm like, oh, there's this interesting questions come up. Can you refer me to someone? And they'll give me ideas. But we're, we're starting to go the other way around now is to sort of shop around problems, problem areas that the city would like help with and... Um, And trying to identify, you know, eager students and faculty who are maybe not on our radar, not on my radar, because I'm relatively new here, who are interested in a particular area. So, for example, the Climate Change Action Plan at the city is a big, big, there's a series of um, options that the city has to sort of consider before they lay out policy around climate change adaptation and mitigation. And um, they could use a lot of help in terms of background research, comparative studies, that sort of thing. And it's also an area of great interest for a lot of faculty and students. They're trying to map that interest into the city so that the city can leverage the resources that an institution like TRU has, uh, access to additional grant funds for research and that sort of thing.
0: Oh, well, this is really cool. You can see all the possibilities. I was reading you know, some of the press releases from the city and from the university about this. And there's this real sense of a desire for more informed decision making at the city and more embedding in community and engagement with the city, like as a structure at the university, which, you know, it seems like it should have always been there, but it's not always been there, right? This is a fairly brand new program that they're piloting. Well, this is, uh, I would
1: call, like more of an evolution of the pro- program that has been at TRU. So TRU okay. has been. I would say, fairly actively engaged in community, community uh, engaged research with uh, various community partners, whether it's interior health or, you know, a variety of factors like United Way. Um, but this is just formalizes it and places a person permanently in the city, you know, like, so I'm spending, it's a three-year program. And um, so I have three years to sort of test out the impact of that kind of um, embeddedness. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is to Yeah, move research in the community from projects, so one project, three month lit review or, you know, a six month uh, thesis towards more programmatic approach to research with our community partners. So a lot of the themes that are emerging, both at the city but also in the community more widely are quite complex. They're not gonna be solved with a lit review or they're not gonna be, you know, they're they're gonna continue to be questions that emerge with each project that we do. And so in whatever way we can, look for opportunities to sort of seed a more programmatic approach to those questions. So maybe we start with a lit review that a student does to help city staff sort of ground some of the um, decisions they have to make. But then the next step might be to do some surveying in the community and some interviews in the community, or what we're trying to do is to embed cultural mapping into a practice of engagement in the city. And so sort of continuously building on the work that we do. So to rather than do project by project, you know, as grants might allow is to sort of have a programmatic approach or to to themes of issues in the city. So whether it be climate action or whether it be housing, which is an issue that I'm working on now, um, whether it's cultural strategic planning. So, you know, there's instead of it being these kind of one-offs, which are great and helpful, to have a a more sort of long-term lens. Um, One of the things that I'm noticing in working with the city is that due to, you know, politics and pressure, the lens of the city is very present and near future focused. Um, and that's there's very legitimate reasons for that. Um, what a faculty and students can provide is a bit of a more long-term lens if their research is built that way. So they can take a look back, see what's happened in the past, think about that, uh, bring it into the, f- into the present, and help um, the folks who need to make decisions today and tomorrow to have those decisions be uh, informed by you know past practices, either here or in other cities, And I think that's uh, the potential power of this kind of program is to sort of fix this other lens or have this group of people who have this other lens at the municipal level. And it's, you know, just to help, you know, uh, facilitate the work that city staff are doing. They work really hard and it's very public work often in in whatever way we can help ground uh, the work that they're doing,
0: you know, with this longer
1: term lens, I think it'd be very helpful.
0: Well, it's interesting the way you're describing it is this you called it sort of a programmatic approach as opposed to project by project and the, the the kind of lens of the scholar with the space and hopefully the space to to take that backwards view. but I'm also hearing you talk a lot about student involvement, which is really cool. Um, it sounds like there's also an aspect here of like mentoring a generation of, of, of young scholars into this kind of community engaged research view of, of, of how they might apply their skills at the university. Yeah, one
1: hundred percent. Yeah, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to work with a number of students on these kinds of projects. And I, my experience thus far is that students are really excited about a very applied work and the opportunity to work with people who's who are you know interested in this um, or working in this area day in day out. They have particular insight that are hard to sort of pull out of a, you know, an academic paper. They have um, particular concerns that maybe they don't feel as viscerally uh, from reading a book. Having the chance to have these long conversations with folks who are struggling, you know, around making decisions to help people or to deal with, uh, you know, just day-to-day challenges that exist in any city uh, is really motivating for a lot of students. So with the researcher in residence initiative, there's five student researchers who are embedded in the project as well. We have two graduate researchers and three undergraduate researchers over the three-year period, and they come in in a kind of layered fashion. Uh, Right now, we have three students working on very different projects from one another. Um, And then we also have the opportunity to work with students in other ways. So right now, I'm working with a number of students who are doing a practicum with us. And uh, these are students in the social work school and they're helping me on a whole bunch of projects, which is really helpful. And you know, they're talking directly with service providers to check some of the information we have and possibly to run some cultural mapping soon as well around the issue of housing in the city of Kamloops and um, what it's like to go through um, the housing continuum in the city. And so it's really applied work. Um, So even students who maybe don't have they're not necessarily interested in a long-term academic career, but they're interested in grounding their careers in um, this kind of thoughtful, evidence-based lens. it's a really good opportunity for them to get involved. And for me, as somebody coming up through the schooling as a sort of first-gen academic, uh, this applied aspect is super motivating for me. And I think it's perhaps long overdue. I think there is definitely, you know, something of a crisis of relevance in some areas of academia and uh, engaged research in this way can help to um, address that. Uh, It certainly feels like it can. And, And certainly a program like the one here at TRU is is remarkably um, bold and um, brave yeah. on the part of the folks who put it together, um, both the people at the city and the people at TRU who assembled this project. It's a really bold move and, um, you know, say in many ways unprecedented uh, for a city like this to have a researcher embedded in the day-to-day life of the city and um, and what can come of that. And um, there's some other examples in Canada that are similar but not precisely the same. And um, there is some hope that um, through the, you know, because we we received some funding from mid tax. To do this. And there's some hope that we might be able to replicate this model in other cities. And I think um, after doing this for about a year, I think that it's very, very interesting work for the right scholar.
0: Oh, that is really exciting. <laughs> All of it sounds really exciting. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time in in this office talking to folks about, you know, authentic assessment and, and giving students opportunities to really apply their skills in ways that are meaningful to them. And this is just such a Such a macro view of that principle to let students really get involved in the city um, and the life of the city and make a difference, make a really tangible difference. That's I, I just thinking back to myself as an undergraduate and how appealing that would have been to me. How how meaningful that work must be for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like when I heard about this project, I was like, Are you kidding me? What good fortune! <laughs> to have this just happening, you know, during a global crisis, and this sort of just shows up in my inbox. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" This project is perfect. <laughs> it's so unusual, and here it is in Kamloops, um, which is where I was hoping to stay. So, very interesting and lucky in a lot of ways. I feel really lucky.
0: It's very cool, and you you mentioned COVID, right? You mentioned this crisis that we're in the middle of, and this program is really established in that period, which. You know, it's been a time of stasis for so many areas on campus, so many areas of the sector of the world, right? It's been hard to think boldly um, amidst all the unpredictability. So it's all the more remarkable that this is sort of happening right now in this moment where between climate change and health policy, I'm sure the city is super grateful to have these voices as part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I've had such nice
1: um, engagement with the city staff. Like, uh, I have I'm, I'm meeting with folks regularly around issues that they've been sort of tasked with, and um, it's it's really nice. Especially when, for example, we for example, we have a student presenting um, her findings at the end of the month, and everybody's really excited and supportive of this young person coming in and sharing her research. And there's a real appetite for this kind of positive. You know, positive news, Um, because the work that we're working on is not just COVID. There's the opioid, or the you know drug poisoning epidemic. There is the housing crisis. Um, There's there's the environmental devastation of climate change. There's like layers and layers of despair, and uh, we're bringing in these young. People who have a lot of energy and interest and passion to feel like they're, you know, contributing in some ways to address these issues in whatever way they can as young people sort of just starting out on their careers. So it's a, I think there's an appetite at the city, in the city for good news. And I think in a lot of ways, the outcomes of this kind of project can be a lot of good news, even though we're all dealing with really, really challenging problems
0: and questions. Well, it's a remarkably hopeful program because. You know, it it implies it's very existence suggests that there are ways through, right? And that working together, we can find them. It's it's heartening um, yeah. in this particular moment that we're in.
1: Yeah, and I and I do think that this kind of, um, hopefully, this kind of very collaborative, sort of deeply collaborative and uh, cooperative uh, sensibility that that nature of the project. I hope it. Um, in some ways, informs the work that we're doing. As we uh, emerge more into community and interact with people more directly, that some of that um, goodwill and the uh, curiosity that the young people have, I hope it, it can... Leave a mark in the city in a positive way. One of the things about working on a university campus is this kind of youthful enthusiasm that's contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that I love teaching is that I get uh, a shot in the arm of this kind of enthusiasm and hope, even in 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 moments of quite you know <laughs> you know I know a lot of students are struggling. I know a lot of people are struggling right now, but there's a kind of optimism. In planning for the future. Mm. And that's what students do by, mm-hmm. you know, signing up for courses and, and, and trying to aspire for a certificate or a degree is that they're planning for the future. So they are assuming there's a future to plan for. And and so they, they come with this kind of energy and enthusiasm that's infectious. And I hope that that energy and in- enthusiasm can be brought into the city through programs of research and engaged scholarship in a way that can leave a positive mark, not just on my own energy, but on the energy of the people that we interact with in, you know, community services, the city and neighborhoods, and as we move forward on our projects.
0: Oh, that's so fantastic. I'm smiling, like I just have this big stupid smile on my face, because it's just so nice to think about the ways in which the structure of the university can be leveraged for good, right? And and leveraged to benefit beyond the hill we sit on. I just think it's so exciting to think about. Um, Cheryl, you're a postdoctoral fellow at the university. How does this work fit into your own research and, and your background? Yeah, so uh, I have an
1: interdisciplinary degree. So that I think is a good fit. I'm in, in management and in um, design is the field that I was in. And in particular, I studied community-led development and the and a whole variety of questions I had around how people design and develop their own neighborhoods and manage them and work together collaboratively. So in that way, there's a lot of overlap in the, in my interests around um, the city and how it works. And a lot of the questions that we're asking at the city and in the city are complex questions that are well served by sort of design really thinking like problem solving with a um, lens towards uh, unconventional approaches or unconventional solutions. So I think this is helpful for me in working with students um, and also working with faculty around the framing of possible questions. So I have a lot of conversations with city staff and they'll point out they'll talk you know very generally about you know what they're working on and things that they find interesting and and sometimes it'll feel tangential so they'll say talk about problem A. but in problem A there's like questions. Y, uh, X, and Z that are interesting to me. And that sort of reframing of the question I think opens up the door for more research if we're able to match those onto faculty who are also interested in those kind of like parallel questions um, uh, that are yet still applied and functionally interesting to the city staff. Because at the end of the day, with community engaged research, there's a tendency, but not an exclusive orientation from, you know, the researcher has a question and they find, identify a city person or a person in community who, you know, has data, let's say, and they use that data to answer their questions. But we're sort of flipping it upside down as we're asking the city staff, um, hey, do you have questions or do you have areas that could be supported by a student or faculty researcher and um and then we bring that up to the faculty and like, how does this match on to your interests? And how can we co-create questions that benefit both you as an academic with your interests and the city staff with their very applied need for this information? And so the questions are different than they start out. And when I think of the best versions of designerly thinking, you don't end up with the same question you started with. You end up it gets reframed, like the problem gets reframed. Even before, you know, the city folks are oriented on a solution, they have to develop policy. But the framing of the initial question is super important at getting to policy that serves, you know, the greatest good. Um, and so from a very applied place, as a researcher interested in designerly really thinking and and that sort of thing, I'm getting to see how people craft or reframe questions um, in an interesting Way. I think once I've done the project, like three years out, I'm going to have a better understanding as to what's actually happening there. But um, I think there's some real interesting reflections that can happen at the end of this project. Um, and, and also, uh, just to stress, there's, the idea is that it's going to continue on in one form or another. Um, so the three year pilot project is funded, it we're funded for three years and with these five student researchers. But the idea is that if there's some value to it, that it'll be, it'll continue on here. So the idea isn't that we, you know, oh, that was a nice experiment. We'll go back to sitting on the hill and not transferring resources like people okay. and faculty. <laughs> the idea is that there's this very deep desire, both at the city right now and at the university, to create a, a solid, a fixed link. So that when people, you know, say new researchers or new students come on, they know they can go somewhere and get access to you know, folks at the city who are doing who are doing interesting things um, and have interesting questions, and folks within the city, the community, the wider community as well, and and that we can map students on, and that we have, you know, at the end of the day, maybe some programs to train students up to being able to do community engaged research because it is you know it's an emergent area people have been doing this for for quite some time but it's not always the same skill set that you might have in a common methodology class so you know we're working right now at training up students in cultural mapping because that's some methodology that we use we're we're thinking about some other skills that we can be building so that students feel better equipped for doing this kind of research because it's um you know i think it's a kind of like uh it's just different you it's a It's like it's more co-creative. So there's a much more um, collaborative, cooperative approach that is maybe not obvious from the outside that you can help students uh, develop the skills of, you know, listening, taking a step back um, from time to time and and just observing what's going around and uh, that sort of thing. So we're hoping to train skills and have basically a group of students who can be deployed in a meaningful manner to address problems as they emerge.
0: My next question was going to be where do you see the program expanding to, but you've kind of answered that, right? This idea of um, preparing students and, and programming around this kind of work, because I could see it being, particularly for the undergraduate student researcher, a little bit intimidating, right? It's so different than what most students are trained to do day to day in the classroom around research. So the idea of preparing them and They they become almost like a cohort, right? They're like a little group who can rely on each other as well. Um, It's just it's such a unique program. I can't. I don't know my questions keep faltering because I'm just so (laughs) delighted by the very structure of what you're describing, I think. Yeah. And it's
1: really emergent as well. Like I have to sort of just hedge it a bit in that we're, there's a lot of stuff that we're developing. We're going to test them and not all prototypes work. Right. So, um, we'll know more at the end of the program, what was successful and what was maybe overdoing it or we'll see, you know? Um, but I, I don't see us at the end of the day, just even, you know, one year in going, oh, well, you know, community engaged research, that's, you know, a fad. (laughs) I see this as a very, very important pivot for academics. Not every academic has to be Engaged with the community, but more of us do, uh, so that we have a better understanding what's going on in our cities. Like we're reliant on the city for for so many things. Um, we're in lock, We should be, you know, in, be, in lockstep with one another. So when, when we're also two big institutions that have uh, comparable challenges, you know, comparable challenges are that's literally a comparative study. You know, like there's work that can be done where we learn from <laughs> one another more proactively rather than just in hindsight. You know, maybe some clever master student was like, hey, oh, hey, there's these two. Two programs that ran at the same time. I wonder what the outcomes, how they're different. It's like we could map that into what we're doing. Like for example, the the work that's being done uh, by another postdoctoral fellow at TRU around EDI um, just aligns really nicely with some EDI work that's being done at the city. Like how just having conversation between these two groups of people over time, what can we learn from that? And then how can we map students into that process so they learn while it's happening and they see the projects unfolding in all their uh, <laughs> glory and messiness you know like those are opportunities that we wouldn't have if we weren't constantly looking for them and that's what uh, this kind of embeddedness can allow is sort of like a constant scanning for these kinds of opportunities
0: i we're getting to the end of our time and i guess what i want to give you some space for here is the the listenership of the podcast is mostly faculty and staff here at TRU, sort of half and half here in a way, but definitely primarily teaching faculty. Um, what would you want folks who aren't familiar with this program to know about it, uh, as they, whether it's as they interact with students or as they interact with the community, what do folks need to know about the researcher in residence program and, and how they should or could engage with it potentially? Well, it's kind of an open door,
1: right? So that's one thing. It's uh, I want to be as open and accessible as possible. Um, we are looking for eager students who are interested in doing applied work. So as an instructor, if you identify a student who's super keen and very um, oriented towards making a difference in their community, these students be really, really well suited for the work that we're doing in community. So we're looking for a better Processes for identifying students who are well suited for community engaged research and providing them with the skills to make them feel comfortable doing that. So, and also there's the opportunity to do coursework that's oriented towards, uh, you know, a service to the community. So it could be bringing in, um, having students do coursework around a particular challenge. We have one faculty who's running a series of studies related to municipal parks. And this information will be shared with the city in a way that might help them around decision-making or grounding some of the work they do in evidence um, of the value of those parks. And so there's ways of embedding these questions into coursework and I'd be welcome. I'd be I'd really welcome having those conversations with faculty in terms of if there's something we can do, broaden our reach or, or to do to, to, um, it, it, not that research is always, uh, you know, like a a paper as an outcome. You know, it could be that we have a series of conversations in class. We're also thinking about doing some work through the exchange lab, um, uh, like community conversations around research and and that sort of thing. So there might be opportunities for people with particular expertise um, to share their expertise and we can facilitate discussions so that it's not just an academic giving a lecture, but rather interacting with community around good conversations and uh, making making the university feel more open. To the wider community that's one of the things i'm hoping to come out of the exchange lab as well and the exchange lab um, which is a really neat space that we share with the united way is a space that is available for people to use for um, research and for collaboration in the community so we have like space there so if you're ever looking to bring your students you know on a walk of the north shore for example you might you know how is it at the exchange lab? We're really open to talk about how to use that space. We're sort of in the process of planning its emergence from COVID. So uh, there's opportunities there. So there's space, there's connections, there's, um, you know, and just a willingness to talk and to sort of think through possible opportunities for, you know, student learning. Because at the end of the day, I think the whole thing that, that really, this it provides a doorway for students to come in and experience Camlips uh, in a way that might feel close to them, but maybe isn't really close to them. Um, it's just you know maybe having a friendly person at the end, at the at the beginning, saying, "Hey, here's three people you should talk to for your research paper," and and I can try to try to help where I can on those types of projects.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. This whole conversation has been surprisingly energizing for me today. Thank you. I knew I would learn a lot, but I didn't realize it would like, you know, just revive my faith in the institution as a structure. And it genuinely has. It's so cool to hear what's happening um, and how brave a program like this is, because it really is. You know, you were describing like we're, we're prototyping things and not all prototypes work. And just I've been in universities for a long time. The idea of starting a project that might not work is like, that alone is brave and bold and exciting to hear. And so I just, I don't know, it's really, thank you for your
1: time today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thanks for asking Uh, for me to come in and, and just to stress that there's so many people involved in this project, both at the city and at the university. And while I end up, you know, we say in a couple of our uh, promotional things, you know, while there is a researcher in residence, there are, it's an initiative that involves a lot of people. And it really is a team effort. And I don't think things like this happen without a lot of team effort. And, you know, TRU has a really solid a group of very, very engaged people uh, doing really excellent research, and I think this is the, the I would say the natural outcome of that, but maybe it's like the supernatural outcome of that. Like, there's just some great folks trying some good work, and I and I think it's really neat that it's happening here in Camlibs.
0: Oh, I do too. Thanks so much, Cheryl. <laughs> well, thank you for asking all
1: so many nice questions, and it was nice talking to you. <laughs> you too.
0: So that is it for Season 2, Episode 11 of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca, and I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. And in both cases, that's Gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.trubox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. You are in probably the throes of midterm marking hell right now, maybe, depending on how your course is structured, or you're looking towards an end of term that's going to have a huge evaluative component. I wonder if now is the moment, while you're at your most overwhelmed, to think about where you could take something off your plate. Ungrading might be a portion of that. Is there something in your course that could be better evaluated by letting students reflect on their own experiences or with contract grading or some other strategy? Again, I'll link to some resources in the show notes. But maybe it's just that there's one assignment too many, one quiz too many, one assessment too many, and you don't think it's as valuable now as you did when you were setting expectations back in the summer. This is a good moment to think about that. So often the really hopeful, enthusiastic person who sets up the assignments and the tired instructor who has to mark them in November, like technically it's the same person, but it doesn't feel like it. Go ahead and give yourself permission to think through what's working and what's not working right now, while you're at your busiest. I promise that if you make a plan to make some changes now, The version of you who exists in March will be super grateful. That's it for me. I'm also doing some reflective practice about how I need to reframe my own working schedule for winter. I'm definitely overtaxed right now, and I'm ready to imagine something otherwise. So I hope you can take some time to imagine something otherwise, too. And in the meantime, take care of yourself and each other, and we'll chat again next week. Bye-bye.